This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. everyone what's happening how you doing hope you're staying warm it's cold across the country like it never before we just experienced like minus 40 here in chicago and i think nashville got five inches my son's down at old miss at school he got like two inches down there it is craziness all over but we're gonna warm you up with the sweet sounds of the hook rocks podcast i'm jay scott and this is the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Thanks again for tuning in. I always do appreciate it. We are part of the Pantheon Podcast Network, a great network of music-related podcasts, including the official Metallica podcast that you got to check out. So visit them at PantheonPodcast.com, as well as on Threads, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Pantheon Pods. And you can do the same on all four of those platforms with The Hook Rocks. Just search up The Hook Rocks. Also, don't forget to subscribe, follow, and like wherever you do podcasts, so you get the latest episodes right to your phone. We've got over 550. We're four and a half years into this. Some great episodes to start the year off, start the year off, of course, with our year-end top 25, where we celebrate 2023. We also welcome Matt Wake talking Robert Plant and why 
He has refused to do any reunion tour for the last two decades with Led Zeppelin. We welcome the Gems with their new album, Phoenix, that's out on January 26th. We just welcome Sophie Lloyd, the guitar player from Shingun Kelly, and Joe Satriani and Todd Damakurton. So some great episodes that really started us off for the year. And please tune in. Please give us a listen. Please let us know what you think. We always appreciate five-star reviews. And we've got an, a return guest, one of my favorite guests. He's become a friend through this podcast. We see each other at shows all the time. You know him as the Hook Rocks audio professor. We didn't do one last quarter just because we're kind of running out of topics. So we're going to try to get creative this year. And we got creative with this episode. But first, without further ado, it is Rob at Skylab Tapes on Twitter. All his information will be in the show notes on where to find him. He is the man. He is the professor. He is the expert on all things audio. What's happening, my man? How are you? Hey, Jay. It is great to be back. I, uh, yeah, I met, you know, I, I was, uh, was sad it didn't work out last quarter, but, uh, uh, you know, we're going to come back with a vengeance this time and, uh, some, not only some fun stuff to talk about, but I'm, I'm bringing guests with me, the guest of the guest, right? So <laughs> you're booking uh, guests. You're, you're, you're doing ideas for the show. I love it. I mean, this is what the community podcast is all about. Different things to talk about with different people and fans like yourself of music. I know you're really into prog rock. That's kind of your forte, although you do kind of get into everything, which is awesome. But this is really kind of about the best of both worlds with what you talk about. It's about surround sound and the mix and the production of an album that you absolutely loved last year that's one of the members of the band that's going to be joining us later and how it impact prog rock and how it impacts music in general so thanks again for doing this yeah it's a pleasure and you know it's it, it, it's fascinating it, it, i can imagine that there well i know for a fact there are plenty of people who are really into audio who don't listen to a lot of prog but that said they're you know prog and good sounding albums have been intertwined for as long as there has been progressive rock right um uh, you know one of the one of the uh you know all timer uh you know measures of good recorded sound is pink floyd's dark side of the moon which is for many people the proggiest thing they own <laughs> right um and uh and you know was engineered by alan parsons and all of those uh you know all of that good stuff which made it just an not you know not just an incredible album musically but an incredible sounding album and then alan parsons himself with the alan parsons project some of the you know, there's some amazing sounding albums that I think we've talked about a little bit before from, you know, from his band. And, 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 you know, that list of, of, of really good sounding progressive rock albums is, is, uh, is pretty lengthy. Uh, and there have been some interesting audio developments over the last, uh, you know, last couple of years that we'll, uh, that we'll talk about here. But I, you know, I wanted to start with just what an incredible year for progressive rock 2023 was. Um, you know, it just at, across the board, one of the most impressive year of new album releases, uh, that, uh, that I can recall. I mean, you had everything from, you know, the kind of current progressive rock heavy hitters like Haken and Riverside and Neil Morse and Stephen Wilson all releasing new albums that were great. Um, there were live albums from Transatlantic and Porcupine Tree, and then great new albums from, you know, somewhat lesser known uh, bands. But, you know, I don't want to say lesser known, but, you know, kind of more up and comers like Crown Lands, 
Southern Empire, mystery, pattern-seeking animals, and District 97, who we're going to talk uh, uh, about uh, uh, and with uh, Jonathan from District 97 here in a little bit. Um, there were also this year, in addition to all of that kind of modern prog stuff, uh, there were new albums by classic prog bands and artists. Uh, Jethro Tull put out a new album in 2023. So did Trevor Rabin. Uh, so did Peter Gabriel. Uh, and while I personally didn't particularly care for it, the current lineup of Yes even released a new album in 2023. So, I mean, there was old prog, new prog, uh, prog metal. Uh, I mean, it was just, uh, you know, it was really, it was really something. I felt like, I felt like maybe this was just me, Jay, but I felt like 2022 was the year of like heavy psych stoner and desert rock. And, uh, and this year, uh, you know, it was, I uh, just said, certainly for me personally, it was, you know, it was back to Prague, uh, because of how strong it was, uh, uh, in terms of new releases. Um, my favorite of the year, which you saw, uh, was Stephen Wilson's The Harmony Codex, uh, you know, his new, uh, you know, his new album, which is, you know, it's a complicated record and, and uh, depending on the song kind of spans a lot of genres, but there's some, uh, you know, these best known for his contributions in the progressive rock world. And there's some great progressive rock numbers on that, uh, on that record. Um, and it's, uh, it's the place to start, I think, with kind of that, you know, bridging of music and, and sound because Stephen himself, is uh he's very into surround sound as a um you know as a as a way of making music um he has done he may be as famous as a remixer as he is as a as an actual musician and he's done multi-channel mixes for king crimson and yes and jethro tull and xtc and tears for fears and even recently kiss <laughs> um, because gene simmons you know, he was like, who's the best guy to remix Destroyer in 5.1? And everybody told him Stephen Wilson should do it. And, you know, Gene was uh, sparing no expense and said, okay, well, then that's got to be the guy. Uh, and so, you know, well, that's probably not, uh, I don't know that that album is high on hit Stephen's personal list of great records. I'll, I'm a huge Kiss fan myself, but um, uh, he, uh, he did it and it, sound, and it sounds great. So, you know, he thinks in terms of, of surround sound for music and the Harmony Codex is his new album is as much, uh, a statement about what music can be in Dolby Atmos, uh, as it is anything else. I mean, there's great, great songs and music on the Harmony Codex, in my opinion. Um, but a big part of it for him is about, uh, the playback methodology and, and listening experience as much as, uh, the music. And in fact, he has, uh, you know, unlike everything he's ever done before, so far he hasn't done a tour for this album because what he said publicly is he wants to be able to, um, he wants to be able to replicate the surround sound experience live in the theater for concert goers when he actually performs it. And so I think he's still kind of working out how that might happen. He's done some surround sound stuff before. Um, in, uh, in his live performance, I went to a show, uh, of his in 2013 at the Park West. Um, and he was doing, uh, he was doing some surround sound, not, not full Dolby Atmos, but he was doing some surround sound stuff even then. And I remember during one of the songs, um, that he played there, th there's this part where there's a 
there's a choir that comes blasting at you from directly behind. And it was so, it was so impactful, uh, that I, you know, I'd love to hear what he has to do with that. Um, so far he's been actually focusing his attention on doing, uh, Dolby, actual Dolby Atmos in theater, um, uh, listening sessions for people. So people in London can buy a ticket, you know, not what it would cost to go to a concert, more like what it would cost to go to a movie. And, you know, he does a Q and a, and then they sit in the completely dark theater that plays back Dolby Atmos and listen to the new album, his new album in, uh, you know, in surround sound in the dark. Um, I had the good fortune. I didn't go to London, love to go to London uh, for that, but I didn't do that. Uh, but I did have the good fortune. It just so happened that the week that uh, the Harmony Codex came out, uh, I was visiting a good friend of mine in the, the Philadelphia area who does have a full Dolby Atmos, very high-end playback system in a purpose-built room in his house. Um, and what this means is that in, you know, my, my surround sound system is more traditional for home theater, kind of, you know, relatively speaking, modest compared to this, right? It's a center channel, two main speakers, uh, actually three speakers in the back and then two subwoofers, right? Now, for most people, they're like, geez, there's a hell of a lot of speakers. But, uh, you know, but that is, you know, that is the more common surround sound setup. The biggest difference between that setup and what my friend has and what full Dolby Atmos is, is that there are also additionally four speakers in the ceiling um, doing not surround sound, uh, you know, not the rear stuff, but that third dimension, if you will, of a height channel uh, or channels in addition to, you know, front and rear speakers. And so I got to listen to the Harmony Codex in uh, in full Dolby Atmos, and it was amazing. Um, you know, it, it was uh, it was really, really something. And Stephen's not the only one. Uh, Peter Gabriel's new album uh, called I.O. I don't know if you've heard it. Um, uh, finally, a new Peter Gabriel album after. I think it's like 21 years or something ridiculous like that. Um, uh, he also sort of very progressive rock kind of thing to do. There are three different versions of that record. There's one he calls the dark side mix and there's one he calls the bright side mix. And then the third version he actually calls the inside mix. Uh, and that is a Dolby Atmos uh, mix of, uh, of that record. So, you know, it's caught the, it's caught the attention surround sounds caught the attention of a whole bunch of uh, people. And for whatever reason, it seems to be more prevalent in progressive rock than it is in other genres. Maybe that's just because it, uh, uh, you know, it, 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 it's seen as a way to make, you know, the music even more interesting. Um, uh, but it, uh, um, you know, there've been a bunch of things released in, uh, you know, surround sound and Dolby Atmos musically, um, uh, in progressive rock and, you know, including from, you know, big time people like, uh, like Peter and, uh, and Steven. So there's a, you know, there's been, um, and there will continue to, uh, I think to see even more of that kind of thing happening. Uh, and a good example, um, is, uh, you know, what we're going to hear about from Jonathan Shang in just a second from district 97, because he did a multi-channel mix of their new album, uh, and so, uh, uh, we'll, uh, we'll get a chance to chat with him about that. I, you know, I'm a big fan of, of surround sound for music. I think it provides a really enveloping experience, uh, you know, in, uh, you know, in the listening room. It's not, um, 
you know, some people mistake it for being a way to get closer to what you experience at a concert. I don't think that's what it's for personally. Um, uh, you know, I, uh, it, there's so much, and you and I go see a lot of live music together. There's so much about a concert that has nothing to do with, you know, where the speakers are and, uh, you know, and that sort and that sort of thing that that's just not replicable when you're sitting on your couch. Um, but in terms of immersing you in the music and, and, you know, doing what, you know, I've been very vocal about, uh, on your show before saying, I think is very important, which is to have music be a uh, foreground activity, right? A pri- listening to music as a primary activity rather than just sort of the sonic wallpaper of life that a lot of people unfortunately seem to uh, use music for. You know, surround sound is a great way of, of uh, you know, having it be so immersive that it demands your attention uh, in that way. And I think that that's, uh, I think that that's also an attractive part of having multi-channel or surround sound music um, uh, releases and why I'm personally glad to see people, uh, you know, as, as influential, I guess, as Peter Gabriel, even, uh, releasing them. Do you see that as the next frontier in terms of audio systems? I mean, a lot of people over the last decade have increased their expenditure on systems like this audio systems for their house because they can connect their TV, they can connect their, their, uh, phonograph to it. They can do all types of stuff to it. Do you see, more albums, more releases, more music going that route with the streaming services, with the with the new albums that they're going to be putting out? Uh, yeah, I really hope so. And actually, you, you, you said something there that I think is the key, which is that you can actually stream uh, surround versions of these albums. Like uh, Apple, for example, has Atmos mixes um, available as a part of its streaming service. Uh, you know, so there, you know, it's not, it doesn't require you to buy, uh, a, you know, a Blu-ray is the other very common way to have surround sound music, right? A Blu-ray or even just an old, uh, now it's old school, right? An old school DVD, uh, you know, as the, uh, as the audio, uh, as the audio playback for surround sound. Um, and that certainly still happens quite a bit and you can do that, but it is possible in the streaming world too. So yes, you know, I think, you know, there's a lot of people who have and continue to get um, surround sound receivers that they're really thinking of, well, I'm buying the surround sound receiver for my home theater, but I have streaming built into this thing. You know, there, you know, that opens up the ability to do surround sound music for people who might not have actually thought about doing it that way um, uh, when they bought that equipment. The other thing is that there are also Dolby Atmos certified headphones. So, uh, you don't even need to have it be an entirely speaker driven experience. I, you know, I prefer, uh, I prefer listening through speakers most of the time, but we can't all do that all of the time. So, uh, headphone listening is, uh, is also a possibility. So, uh, is, is it time? Should we let Jonathan in and ask him about, uh, about, uh, uh, his surround sound efforts this past year? Yeah. Let's bring him in. Hey, Jonathan, what's going on, man? How are you? Hey. Happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. Looking forward to talking about some surround sound. Absolutely. For those uh, who are tuning in, this is Jonathan from the band District 97, Chicago-based band. And originally, you know, when we were talking about what episode to do with Skylab, um, he was talking about surround sound, and he was a big, huge fan of District, District 97's album in 2023. And Jonathan was largely responsible for the production and the sound of that. So... Without further ado, we're going to continue what Rob was talking about and surround sound and music, like with the Peter Gabriel album. 
And we're going to talk with Jonathan about the District 97 album. So, Jonathan, I just got talking about my experience listening to uh, Stephen Wilson's The Harmony Codex in uh, uh, in full Dolby Atmos at a buddy's mine's house who actually has a a, uh, a very elaborate Atmos setup. I don't know if you've uh, have you heard his record yet, his new record yet. I have not heard the new one yet. No. Gotcha. So, you know, it's uh, the Atmos mix on that is amazing. Um, and you know, there, there've been a bunch of records that, uh, that, that came out this year. Uh, you know, it, it'd be interesting to get your take on this, that were also, you know, that were all progressive rock records that all included, um, a, you know, 5.1 or Dolby Atmos mix. And I personally was thrilled to see that, uh, stay for the ending was one of them. <laughs> so, uh, for everybody who's listening, who, uh, uh, who didn't catch this part. So stay for the ending is district 97's new, uh, studio album released in October. Um, was, uh, Jay, it was in my top 10 on your po- on your, uh, 2023 podcast earlier in the year. Um, uh, and is, uh, actually my favorite of your five studio records. Uh, I think it's, uh, I guess terrific. Um, but I was, uh, you know, obviously very curious about a bunch of things relative to the surround sound mix. When did you decide that you wanted to do a surround sound mix for this record? Well, it was, um, so we funded this recording through a Kickstarter campaign. And uh, so we kind of have two ways that we fund a lot of our activities. So one is crowdfunding and the other is a subscription-based service called the Inside the Vault Club, which you're kind enough to be a part of. Yep. So so we wanted to do something special for the people that are both in the club and contributed to the album. So we figured a, a disc with a high-res stereo and a 5.1 mix would be a good way to do that because um, I wasn't quite sure, like, you know, a wide release of that, how much it would sell because there are still a lot of people that don't bother with surround sound. So I thought kind of maybe a more thing could be a good way to go. Um, though I am thinking about um, trying to do an Atmos mix and have that uploaded to the streaming services that support surround sound. So um, nice. that could be a way to, he- yeah, to hear it more widely. Um, but that's just something I'm kind of toying with at the moment. Um, but we also do, st- do have that mix available for download on our website, district97.net. But essentially, um, you know, I'm a surround sound enthusiast and we did this with our prior album screens, um, a similar model where it was designated for as, as a thank you to the, the, uh, supporters that have really contributed the most toward what we do. So it's kind of a way for me to hear the album in surround, a more immersive version of it. Because uh, I enjoy that and a way to reward um, some of our biggest fans. Nice. What uh, what do you have to do differently in the process of recording the album, like during the recording sessions, knowing that you're going to make a 5-1 mix out of it? Well, in our particular case, I'll be honest and say we didn't really do anything differently. Um, because as I said, this was more of a thank you sort of thing than rather like we're making this album expressly to be heard in surround sound. But I figured that's not a huge detriment because, you know, a lot of these albums getting remixed in surround sound now, I don't think, you know, maybe they were thinking about quad occasionally some on some of those records, but probably the lion's share of them were just meant for stereo. So I, I didn't feel that that was a big impediment. Um, 
<laughs> but I also want to bring up Gnome Wallenberg, who recorded the album and mixed it. And uh, so, so um, you know, he was the one who really brought everything into reality sonically. And we were talking about mixing and surround, which um, is something he had some experience in, but doesn't do a whole lot. But he said, for instance, you know, if you're really going to knuckle down and, and uh, you know, record an album that's explicitly intended for surround, instead of, say, doubling a guitar part, you might quadruple it. So, um, mm. so I think that that's a way that probably Stephen Wilson approaches it. But we didn't really have the the luxury to be quite that fastidious. Gotcha. And you did the, you actually did the five, one mix or the key. Uh, we, we both did it together. Like I, I was in the room with him. Um, I think I'm trying to remember. I think he may have done a little prep work before I got there, but um, yeah, we went through every song and um, I'd say, well, maybe let's try throwing this in their rears. Like I tried to make it, you know, we only had one day to work on it, so I tried to make it as immersive as I could in that limited span of time, and also in a way that that made sense for the music itself. Like I wouldn't, I I, I love the stereo mix that he did, so I didn't want want to change the character and color of that. I wanted to re- retain that, um, not not pull it apart too much, but but you know where we could get away with throwing keyboards in the back or vocals or something or some percussion. Um, I wanted to do that. And, uh, yeah, some of the tracks, there's definitely a lot going on in the rears, which is pretty fun. Yeah. I noticed that, which is, uh, which I, which I thought was as well. What is your, uh, what would you say your bias is in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of a surround sound mix? Are you more interested in hearing different things go on in the different channels? Are you trying to, uh, are you trying to make it more atmospheric or do you have an, uh, do you have a, 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 sort of approach there personally i like pretty discreet surround mixes like i do like to hear stuff swirling around the room and uh and you know like a real 3d experience so that's what i was going for on our mix where where i was able to um but i'd say probably my favorite five one mix or at least the one that got me excited about five one in general was uh the beatles love Mm-hmm. Um, which uh, was just a whole new way to hear the Beatles for me, and so once that came out, I think I had the the five one DVD before I had a five one setup, and I so I thought eventually I'm going to need to get five one to hear this properly. <laughs> um, so that set a pretty high bar. Yeah, but but it's been a lot of fun uh, exploring other albums since. Yeah, I uh so do you did you take a did you take a mix of uh Stay for the Ending in 5-1 back to your place to listen to and then make changes to it or or once it was done it was done? Um yeah, once it was done it was done and um and also it's just kind of difficult to um I mean I have not figured out a way to play it on my home stereo without an actual physical disc the five one right. file, but I mean, I've got an old Blu-ray player and an old amp, so it's probably just my stuff's too out of date. Um, but I had to just kind of trust what we did in the studio and then trying to actually get the DVD authored was a huge pain. Um, <laughs> was it really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I asked this company, uh, who shall remain nameless if, if they could author the DVD 
And they're like, yeah, we can do that. And then they kept sending me versions of it, and I could not hear anything in the rear speakers. And they kept saying, well, you know, it sounds fine here. Like, it's got to be something on your end. And I was like, well, I just switched to another 5.1 disc, and it plays perfectly fine. And then I had some friends test it out. I guess I should have asked you, too. Um, And they had the same issues. And so then, like, we were on our way to Europe at, at the end of August last year and i was still trying to sort this out so i had um our friend joel barrios who's a great photographer oh yeah Uh, i've met him yeah and he also uh does dvd authoring so he was able to author it um i wasn't actually able to check it myself because i was overseas so i had another friend check it and i just crossed my finger fingers because it's like i need to get this done so i can um, get our backers the album as soon as I get back from Europe. So uh, crossed my fingers and luckily worked out. The only disappointment was um, that I was hoping to have um, a DTS on the DVD. Um, our friend Dave Kersner did a DTS version for us, which um, you know is compatible with DVDs, but. Yep. But Joel's authoring software, um, for whatever reason, it wasn't taking to the DTS file. So it is a, um, the resolution, unfortunately, is a little bit lower on the DVD. It's a, what is it? It's a Dolby. Mm-hmm. But the, do- the download is high res wave. Gotcha. So it does add a level of, uh, it does add a level of complexity to the release that I wasn't really thinking too much about, I guess. Yeah, it, it was definitely <laughs> a headache. And uh, and then you have to figure out for the authoring, like what images you're going to have. Um, like uh, Joel did a little video thing that um, was very cool, but I felt didn't necessarily suit the vibe of the music all the way through. So, so I felt a little bad, but I was like, I think let's just put band photos on instead. Um, so there's a lot of decisions like that, like that go into the overall presentation. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, that's, that, that, that's interesting. When you're, when you're recording or when you're prepping for something like this, you know, versus what you normally do on a record versus surround sound, what are the differences in just preparation, preparing and seeking out what you want to hear? Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. 
Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Right. Well, as I mentioned, um, when we were recording, it was pretty much just the standard process as we would do but the thing is our music is very layered anyway um there's a there's a lot of overdubs you know multiple guitar parts multiple keys parts oftentimes multiple vocal parts and um i overdubbed a bunch of auxiliary percussion so so even though we weren't making the album explicitly to be a surround sound experience i still knew there was going to be enough to draw from um, to make an, an immersive listen. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, it worked out very well. Uh, it's funny because I've, uh, because the, that was available, I haven't really listened to the album in stereo very much. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I hear you. I do recommend doing it though. Cause there's, like I said, there's a high res stereo, uh, version on that same DVD and the stereo mix is killer too. But, uh, but I often do that too. Like, some of Stephen Wilson's remixes, like of XTC, those are the first times I heard those albums. And uh, yeah, those surround mixes are pretty much my go-to. Yeah, they, uh, that I have several of those XTC ones, and they're, uh, they are amazing. Yeah. Right, so I got a couple of other questions, and then Jay may have uh, others for you. But the, uh, um, you mentioned The Beatles' Love, which I agree is terrific. Any other... Any other specifically progressive rock albums that you've heard in five one that you thought were really uh, were really impressive in that particular uh, you know in a surround sound format? Sure. Um, well, yeah, Stephen Wilson. Obviously, he's he's the the guy who uh, is the master at this. Um, I think uh, his freehand Gentle Giant mix is really really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, the XTC ones. I, I fell in love with those albums through those mixes so um oranges and lemons is one that um i think well actually i did have i did have the uh the stereo cd of that one is i think i got that first but but yeah the surround mix really opens it up and uh improves the fidelity quite a lot nice so forgetting for a second about uh, about surround sound uh, and obviously excluding your own uh, uh, contribution to 2023, uh, did you have a favorite progressive rock album uh, that was released last year? 
boy, I, I guess I feel like a bit of a slacker. I really, you know, I was so focused on making our album that I didn't really <laughs> have the bandwidth to be checking out all the other stuff that was coming out. So like I said, I haven't heard the Stephen Wilson one, which seems to be the consensus best of the year. Um, I mean, I, I think I heard some of the Haken album and they, they helped, they helped inspire some of the tracks on this new one. Like, um, the closing track, the watcher has a section in the middle with a lot of very heavy, aggressive kind of metal riffing. And, you know, I've seen them a number of times, um, when we played cruise to the edge together. So I think the last time I saw them, I was like, I want to kind of channel some of this energy as best I can. Um, so yeah, they're always, that's a a great record. Um, Yeah. I need to dive into that. Yeah. The, uh, are you going to go see their show? Uh, they're doing the whole thing live at the Arcada in February. Okay. Well, yeah. Um, that's definitely something to keep in mind. Yeah. There you go. A place you're quite familiar with, obviously, since, uh, I've seen you guys perform at the Arcada a couple of times. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We, we love it whenever we get a chance to play over there. Yep. That's great. Uh, Jay, what about you? Other questions for Jonathan? Yeah. Um, it's really interesting about how the sound develops and, and how you record it. When you, when you are recording the music and you're making decisions to do overdubs and layer the music that you guys do, is that, I mean, are you hearing the surround sound while you're doing that stuff? Like this is going to sound really great when we do this type of mix to it, do this type of production. Is that all encompassed when you are creating or is that just something like, Hey, maybe we should try to do this. And that comes afterwards. Um, yeah, I think it was more after the fact, but there are, you know, there are kind of, um, I guess, uh, strategies that can be employed for a surround mix. Like generally you're going to put the more atmospheric stuff in the rear speakers. Like you kind of have the meat and potatoes up front and then the more coloristic things you might put in the back. So a lot of the synths, might end up back there that can give a nice fullness to the mix um and backing vocals auxiliary percussion and then if you want to really kind of drive home a more powerful section you can also put some of the heavier stuff back there as well like put the guitar in in all uh, four channels um so so yeah, it wasn't something I was laboring over really, but I think every now and then I was thinking, you know, this particular um, synth patch will sound nice, and, or this thing might be good to kind of swirl around the room. Like uh, the surround mix has a bonus, a little bonus ending, which um, I was toying with the idea of ending the album with this. Um, it's like an isolated keyboard part from the last sound, the watcher that we manipulated to kind of change in tone and sound creepy. And Mm -hmm. for the standard mix, I decided it might be a bit superfluous, um, and just end the album with a bang. But for the surround mix, I, I was figuring, well, let's throw it on and, you know, swirl it all over the room. So that's just a little kind of Easter egg for that mix. Um, but I figured it's gonna it's gonna have an effect in surround that's going to that it wouldn't really be possible to have in stereo, so it's a worthy addition. When nice. you are when you are recording this music and you're doing this 
surround sound mix. Are you looking to enhance the music? Are you looking to enhance the experience for the listener? It's more the latter. Um, I think the stereo mix definitely is not lacking in any way. Like it, it provides, it does full justice to the music. Um, the, the surround sound, it's, I mean, I kind of think of a surround mix like a 3D movie. Um, I mean, I guess that can be gimmicky sometimes, but um, for me, if it's done well, it's a whole lot of fun. So, but you still want to have everything you need in the standard edition as well. So it's for sure. It's more, yeah. So it's more just a, another way to experience it for me. As you look to the future with District 97 and, you know, music coming at a later date yet to be determined and you go in to start creating and recording. Does this give you limitless potential for your music? Like more conceptual things, more storyboard type of creating with music, or is it just something that'll enhance your influence, your style of music? Well, I'm the only member of the band that has a 5.1 setup, so I think I'm the only one really thinking about this at all. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Tim was there for some of the surround mixing that day, so he's got some idea about it. But, um, but yeah, it's. I don't think it's going to be like a top of mind thing. But um, now that streaming services are offering surround sound, like I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, if I can find a way to do it that's not incredibly expensive, I, I'm wondering if I can kind of have somebody take the 5.1 mix and kind of uh, reformat it for Atmos and then see about getting that on the streaming services. So so if, right. it, becomes, if it becomes something that's heard more, more widely and gets a good reception, then I think I'll be um, prioritizing it more going forward. I mean, it, it'd be interesting to see how all that works out because with you know with some of with some of the albums that have been receiving a lot of press for their Atmos mixes lately, and specifically like be, being available on Apple Music to stream, like you were talking about. I mean, everything from uh, you know from Dark Side of the Moon, of course, now, but uh, you know which has had multiple uh, surround sound mixes, but um, you know even things like Who's Next. They made a big deal about that being available in an Atmos mix on uh, on Apple Music. So, uh, you know, they're you know they they may hopefully they'll make that easier and easier, uh, you know, so that it's something that you could take advantage of. As a follow on to Jay's question, do you when you guys are recording, do you record as a band more like in a group setting, or do you do it more sort of serially? <laughs> so it, it's really both. So. Um, we start with the basic tracking and the main goal of that is to get the final drums and bass. Um, but we, but also everybody's there. So, um, we keep what we can of, uh, Jim and Jim on guitar and Andrew on keyboards. Um, the vocals are kind of more intended just to, uh, help with the energy of our performances and as, um, placekeeper, um, so we do get some live energy from that. Um, but then Andrew tracked the bulk of his keyboards at home, aside from organ he did in the studio and acoustic piano and maybe a handful of other things. But uh, all his synths he did at home and did a really nice job on that. Um, I went over to his uh, place several times 
and we work together on my songs. Um, but but uh, a lot of the guitar was tracked uh, just Jim, but with input from uh, other band members as well. So it, so there was there was not a whole lot that was just done just one person all by themselves. Like usually there was input from at least one other band member. Um, but yeah, it's kind of a hybrid approach. Gotcha. Is there a big difference in cost between a stereo mix and a surround mix for artists like yourselves? Um, it, it, you know, so the way we were approaching it was essentially let's take the stereo mix and stoop it up into a surround mix. Like, um, so yeah, it was definitely done on a budget. I think it, I can't recall exactly what we paid for it, but I think it was like an additional thousand dollars or so for the surround mix. So, um, you know, because our fans are so great, we're able to afford to do that. Um, so yeah, it, it's, uh, it's, it's achievable, but we only had a day to do it. So that's the trade off. Gotcha. As far as, in your opinion, you know, like as an artist, right, you're always critiquing your own art and what you what you've done with it. Have you had a chance for you just to absorb it and think of things that maybe you would have done differently with the mix? Um, you know, I mean, for all our prior albums to this one, I would say yes, but I really feel like this one we kind of nailed. And I mean, Noam definitely gets the lion's share of the credit. Like uh, we've worked with great people in the past, but I felt that Noam took things to another level with his attention to detail. Uh, for instance, um, during the basic tracking I was just talking about, we were setting up the drum kit and uh, you know, so he actually comes into the, con- uh, or into the studio and starts checking the drums out one by one and, and, and tuning them um, with, with a level of attention that I've never seen anybody tune drums before. Um, so like he was so, um, invested in every step of the process, you know, from the hands-on tuning of the drums till the very end when we were working on the surround mix that I, I really felt no stone was left unturned. And, um, I think we worked together where, uh, for the first time, I think everybody feels like we totally realized the vision that we were attempting to uh, make a reality. Yeah, I think that shows, by the way. I mean, at least in my opinion, uh, as I've said to you before, it does. So I, here's a loaded question for you. Um, you know, now uh, you know, you've had a couple of albums that you've done surround sound mixes of, and, uh, and yet there has never been a District 97 vinyl release. Um, do you prefer to think, uh, you know, in does, does vinyl feel too old school to you and you prefer to think about kind of pushing the technology envelope or that doesn't really factor in? Um, I am a fan of vinyl and I do think it would be fun, but um, it might be cost prohibitive. Like, for instance, Stay for the Ending is um, close to an hour long. So it would need to be a double a double vinyl. And um, so that would drive up the cost. And then you've got to think about shipping them. You know, there it's a large package. Um, I just don't know that they would quite sell enough to justify the expense. Like I, I did take an informal poll. 
um, I don't know, probably three year, three years ago or so, like saying if we were, it was for the prior album, I said, like, if we were to do um, a crowdfunding campaign to fund a limited run of screens on vinyl, would you be interested? And, and it was not quite as enthused a response as I was expecting. So huh. um seems like a lot of people are happy just with the CDs or downloads. Um, I do think it would be fun to do the vinyl, but I would like some, I would think I'd like a partner in there. Like if our label was like, Hey, we want to do vinyl. I'd be like, fantastic. But um, I think a lot of record labels, like I was talking to um, another record label owner and he asked if we were doing vinyl. And I said that we didn't have plans. He said, uh, that's smart. It, it's, it doesn't give you the return you would expect. So personally, I'd love to see it, but I just don't know if it's, if it's very practical. Interesting. What is next for you guys in the new year um, after releasing your album in 2023? Uh, well, we've got a couple shows in March coming up uh, and uh, they haven't been announced yet. So I don't know if I should, quite spill the beat <laughs> quite spill the beans yet but one of them will be in chicago yes on, on uh sunday march 3rd and then a few days later we'll be in miami florida on march 7th so um for all you detectives out there you can probably figure out what that one is <laughs> yeah i know what that means <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, sadly i'm not i'm not doing cruise to the edge this year <laughs> i've never done it actually but this year isn't going to be the first unfortunately because it's an incredible lineup but yeah it's always a great time yeah as far as after those two shows is there any plans for um more music more i mean obviously more shows um is there more in the works beyond that yeah i've actually just started demoing a new song in the last few days uh reacquainting myself with logic software which is what i use to um help me come up with uh, my three songs on this newest album. So yeah, I'm feeling like it's time for the cycle to begin anew. Um, So yeah, I think you'll definitely, I'm hoping um, it's also looking like we'll do another uh, Chicago area show. This one very close to you, Rob um, in in forest park, actually, I think uh, in May. And um, so I'm hope I'm hoping there will be at least one new song that we can debut for that show. Amazing, yeah. You, uh, I, I know that we heard, we got to hear uh, at, at least with, it was either one or two, but at least uh, at least one of the songs from "Stay for the Ending" back at the uh, show where you opened up for Winery Dogs at the Arcada, and that was in what, that was in what March, that so was, it was a good yeah. six months before the album was released. So. Um, it's always fun that you guys, uh, you know, will play some new material at your shows before the albums are even out. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty essential part of our process is to, uh, road test the material and get it under our fingers and kind of figure out how we want to approach it. But we had actually done a lot of the recording by the time you saw that show. We, we actually, um, yeah, had a vocal session that same, uh, afternoon. It was a, it was a pretty, action-packed couple days we played with winery dogs in milwaukee the prior night then we had a vocal session from like 10 to 3 or something the next morning after having only gotten back home around probably 1 a.m or something 
And, and then we had to go out to St. Charles for that gig. <laughs> what was that experience like opening up for the Winer Dogs? How did those gigs come together? Um, well, we are pals with uh, Mike Portnoy. You can see a video on YouTube of him actually sitting in with the band, taking my my spot on um, a tribute to Taylor Hawkins, where we played You Ought to Know by Alanis Morissette. Um, so it's tended to be the last few years, whenever he's had a project coming to town, we might reach out to him and say, could you use an opener for this show? And, um, the winery dogs stuff took a little while to come together and I kind of figured it wasn't going to happen, but then I think it was maybe, um, about three weeks before the shows, their booking agent contacted us and like, can you guys do these? And, uh, Luckily, we were able to. I think it it was a really nice matchup. It was great. Yeah, for you guys, you know, to kind of see those three individuals up there—Billy, Mike, and Richie—I mean, obviously, Winery Dogs is more rock based, modern rock based, but they do have prog elements in their song. You know, for someone who's in a a, a progressive band like you are, when you hear something like that, that kind of merges two worlds, is that? Is that inspiring to you? Is that interesting to you? How do you feel about that stuff? I th- I think they're a great band, and they um, yeah, it's it's an interesting hybrid of of uh, a lot of different influences, but but it sounds very cohesive. So yeah, I definitely find it inspiring. I think um, there's a song called "Deck Is Stacked" on uh, "Stay for the Ending" that I. Th- Thing kind of channels a little bit of winery dog swagger or Led Zeppelin or Aerosmith or something. Definitely calling from some similar influences, but also with a lot of progginess in it too. So I, I think that that track's probably our closest parallel to what the winery dogs do. So we we made sure to play that one when we opened up for them. Awesome. Well, Jonathan, it's been a blast getting to know you and learning all about this stuff. Thank you again for for doing the show. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, really appreciate it, man. Thank you. And uh, uh, we'll see you soon, either way, at some point, either at your show or another one. All right. (laughs) Okay, looking forward to it. Fantastic. Appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Yeah, that was a blast, man. Thank you for setting that up. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, he's a great guy, uh, you know. And I've uh, uh, I've actually gone to a, I've seen him at a couple of shows that I've gone to. Uh, he, the uh, he went uh, he actually went with us uh, to the Sons of Apollo show at the Arcada, uh, and uh, and uh, bumped into him at uh, I think it was an Opeth show. So he's a you know, he's an avid uh, he's an avid concert goer. In addition to, of course, uh, you know they play a lot live. Yeah. Um, as, uh, as you would expect. So it's a really good, uh, he's a really good dude. Awesome. Yeah. I'm really interested to see where this goes with, you know, the technology being there for, you know, the recording of it, obviously. And for you know, the end user, the listener to absorb it the way it's intended to. And, you know, like I said, in the beginning before Jonathan came on, you know, more people are spending money on this stuff because during the pandemic, a lot of people went out or you didn't go out. They stayed home. They they got movies on Netflix or Disney or whatever it was. And now they're making that area of their home a true entertainment system with be able to play music, be able to play movies. And they're upgrading the sound capabilities for them. Yeah. 
So, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see where this goes. Well, and, 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 uh, you know, as we were talking about with Jonathan, one of the things that, that definitely pushes, um, you know, people to kind of make sure they have the right capabilities and the right setup is when, you know, a favorite massive record like Who's Next suddenly becomes available on streaming services in surround sound. Right. And, and, you know, they're making a, you know, making a big deal about the fact that there's an Atmos mix of that. And, and, uh, you know, they're, uh, you know, they're, it seems like they're, you know, the whole Peter Gabriel thing. I mean, he's obviously intensely popular as well. Um, so they're, you know, the more of that kind of thing that happens, uh, you know, I just think more people will be interested in, uh, you know, in listening to it. And hopefully that means that, you know, more, uh, you know, more bands like Jonathan's at District 97 will do it as well because, you know, I don't, uh, you know, you, uh, you and I are not people who own, as, uh, we've talked about all the time, are not people who only want to listen to monster albums of yesteryear, right? So I, uh, it's exciting for me when it becomes something that, you know, that, you know, that bands that have a nice following like District 97 mm-hmm. have, but are not the who, um, you know, can, uh, can still be doing, uh, could still be doing surround mixes. And it was interesting to hear Jonathan's, uh, you know, happily very candid discussion about the additional costs that are involved there. Right. I mean, it was not insignificant, but not astronomical either. Right. Right. And yeah, I think once this starts to pick up, if it does, which I hope it does, you know, people will start to look for things that are in surround sound to get that experience. So, you know, they may not know of district 97, prior to upgrading their system, but if they start hearing things about this album and how it sounds, they may buy it to get that experience with their, with their surround sound in their home. Exactly. And I hope so, because if that, you know, if that can continue to get people to be more active listeners to music, right. And not just passive listeners, then the world would be a better place. My friend, that's a perfect way to end the conversation. So Thank right you on. again. Thank you again, man, for, for coming on and spending some time at the Hook Rocks. And thank you for inviting Jonathan on to as well. All of Rob's social media locations, which is basically just Twitter, will be yep. in the show notes. And Jonathan and District 97's information will be there as well. So follow those links once you're listening and look up that album, look up that, you know, the, the, the music for District 97. Give Rob a follow. Give District 97 a follow wherever you do your social media. And uh, thanks again to the audio professor for hitting a home run. Thank you. Appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Until next time. Awesome. Yep. We got to figure out next episode. So for sure, everyone, that is Rob at Skylab tapes. Again, all his info will be in the show notes as well as district 97s. I'm Jay Scott. This has been another episode of the hook rocks. Thanks again for tuning in. Thanks again for following us. Appreciate it. Take care of each other. Stay safe. And we will talk soon. Thank you. The smell of fire all around me, trapped on all sides by a rising sea. Two extremes that feed this opposing force that's fearless. Conserve your favor, throw away the rest. Running dry is for the best. We can pivot as we see fit. We're building castles in the sand pit. One wave away from the Actions at the same time. What a mess to leave behind for the lies we we're forced to keep. No regard for the living. Protect the preem.
and post And if you're stuck here, learn to cope Just get It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points. 